I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. So conversations about race have been raging here in the UK, just like they have all over the world for the past year. And one government minister has been outspoken on the topic. Her name is Kemi Badenoch. I think it's one of the the advantages you have as a first generation immigrant is that you can often compare uh, two totally different places. And that's one of the reasons I always say that I think Britain is uh, the best place in the world to be black uh, specifically. And, And I still speak to that. She is Exchequer Secretary for the Treasury and also an Equalities Minister. So let me just go straight in with, I suppose, the obvious question. Do you believe that the UK is a racist country? No, no, I don't. Um, And I think many people find that answer challenging. Uh, And the analogy I often use to express it is I don't believe that the UK is a criminal country despite almost everyone I know having been a victim of crime. Uh, The threshold for what uh, one uses to describe whether an entire country is racist for me is quite high and needs to be really embedded in systems deliberately uh, designed to disadvantage people like we saw in the US with Jim Crow, like we saw in South Africa with apartheid. Doesn't mean that we don't have problems, but My view is really uh, that we should look at the very best in terms of the behaviour of the people around us uh, and the behaviour of the majority rather than look at the behaviour of the worst behaved minority as a template for how to define uh, a particular race. And that cuts across all races. The the fact that you have to be careful before answering that question is itself quite interesting, isn't it? That you're Minister of the Crown, and I'm asking if it's a racist country, but a lot of people will find it unacceptable for you to say that the UK is not racist. How do you think we got to that point? Um, honestly, I, I know, and this might be challenging for you, Freddie, uh, or, or maybe not, because um, Unheard isn't one of the papers, I think, or the media outlets that does the worst of it. But I actually think a lot of it is the way the media 
portrays uh, a lot of a lot of news. So I give a complex, nuanced answer about race in the UK, and the headline is: Minister denies any racism at all exists. And the stand first sort of slightly supports that. And then maybe towards the end of the article, you see, actually, that's not exactly what she said. So I always try and make sure that I uh, make my statements in a way that they can't be misinterpreted by those who deliberately want to want to misinterpret. And I think that media coverage post uh, the Internet, post social media in particular, has been unhelpful in terms of uh, the debate on very sensitive issues, not just on on race, but a host of of other things, and often brings out the very worst uh, in terms of human behaviour. And you know, you can I can have a whole hour's conversation with you about about social media, but I think well, that that's often where a lot of the mis misinterpretation happens. I mean, something has changed as well, hasn't it? This government is definitely more outspoken and more prepared to push back against some of those narratives. I mean, we had the report um, from the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities a couple of mm. months ago, which was received with quite a lot of controversy. A lot of mm. people were trying to shut it down. Uh, what's been your view of that report? And do you think the government will broadly accept its findings? Well, I, I think that's uh, the report example is a, is a really good one. We commissioned that report, the Prime Minister commissioned that report because of the tensions that we saw in the summer of 2020. And the purpose of the report was to investigate why disparities between different ethnicities existed. And it found a whole host of reasons why. Um, but there are many people who don't really want to engage with uh, a myriad of reasons. They only want to talk about discrimination, which is one area, it is one cause, but it's not the only cause. And quite often it's not the primary cause. But looking at a whole range of issues that cause disparities is what the report was actually quite good at. And I think that it gave us some really brilliant analysis that, that will allow us to uh, make policy over the coming years. It was there was quite a blowback, wasn't there? It, um, you were attacked for it. There were the, the authors were attacked for it. Mm -hmm. Who are the these forces who are so keen to paint as racist anything that is a little bit more nuanced in the, that way? Um, I'm not I'm not going to name any names because that that in itself uh, will be will be uh, creating headlines. I'm really trying to take some of the toxicity out of the debate, and I'm trying not to challenge individuals but to challenge uh, challenge the arguments. And what you will recognize uh, with many of the attacks is that they aren't actually challenging the arguments, they're challenging the, the individuals. So the, the report authors, all but one uh, ethnic minority background, had, had an ethnic minority background, they were called Coons, they were called Uncle Toms, their workplaces were targeted, they had, they had death threats. And we can recognize in a liberal society that anyone who behaves like that certainly cannot be on the right side of the argument. And there are people who are threatened by hearing these things because they, in some way, they profit, even if not financially, but probably emotionally from, from these arguments. It helps them, I don't know, perhaps uh, affirm their own, their own beliefs. I think many of these beliefs do come from uh, a hard left perspective. And quite often I have to explain to many people who are very well-meaning that these arguments which you think are uh, perhaps black uh, arguments that black people make, they're actually the arguments of the black left. And you wouldn't expect anyone to say why people think 
this particular view uh, uh, because that's what Jeremy Corbyn thinks or someone else from the from the British uh, British left. So why would you do that just because these people are of a particular race? But do you find you get targeted because you're a black politician and you're not saying the kind of things that you're expected to say? All, all the time. But um, I went into politics knowing what I was getting myself into. And I know that if I don't say these things, it'll be very hard for other people to say what they believe to be true. And it's important that we be brave as politicians and we tell people what we really think, even if it means a backlash, even if it means endless uh, insults on social media. That's fine, because what really pleases me is that after any intervention I make, I get so many emails from not just white people, but actually lots and lots of ethnic minorities who say, thank God you're saying this because it feels like no one understands my point of view. No one wants to hear my point of view. You know, I, I get emails from black people in corporations who are being made to do diversity training that they think, for instance, is quite offensive and uh, very demeaning. And no, and they've got no arguments. And actually having a government minister saying, we don't think that this is the right way to do these things is very helpful. So I'll keep going. It doesn't matter how much uh, abuse or how much threat I get. So one reaction is the abuse, which you've, we've just talked about. The other sort of playbook is now emerging is that the opposition then says that you are starting a culture war. If you touch on any of these issues, the argument is, oh, the government is picking a culture war battle in order to pander to its base or throw red meat to the base or something. What, what's your reaction to that? It's, it's very disheartening when you hear that. I hate the term, uh, the phrase culture wars. I don't even like the term woke. It's, uh, it's, not, a, it's not a word I use. And one of the, the, the reasons why is because it makes it sound like you're, you're fighting a battle with people rather than making a very clear, coherent argument. And you are right. Uh, for a long time, the government didn't say anything on these topics because we don't want to look like we're distracted from the things that really matter to people looking after their health, their education, uh, the economy. But you can look at the Batley and uh, spend by-election is a very classic example, that even when uh, the right says nothing, a lot of these arguments that are supposedly culture war arguments, they're happening purely um, on the left. You look at the battle between uh, LGBT rights versus the rights of religious minorities. This is mostly a battle on the left. The same thing with left-wing feminists and uh, trans rights activists. This is these are not right-wing. Uh, these are not right-wing battles. The, the right doesn't need to get involved for these so-called culture wars to take place. These are uh, battles about a difference of opinion and very poor arguing that's taking place, very poor debating. And as a government, I think it's important that we set an example uh, in terms of how to carry out this, the debate. I hope that article that I wrote yesterday is uh, is how people uh, engage in it. But also, like I said before, taking away a lot of the heat out of it. We, we need to do better as a country. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In so terms of this conversation. You mentioned a, a piece that was, I think, in the Telegraph yesterday that touched on a concept called white privilege, yeah. um, which, again, is one of these sort of buzzwords. No doubt people will accuse that of being a, another culture war if it's mentioned. Why did you think it was important to speak out about the concept of white privilege? Uh, because the Education Select Committee uh, wrote a report last week and talked about how poorly lots of uh, white working class uh, boys in particular were doing in terms of attainment. And this is an in, co uh, in comparison to wealthy ethnic minorities. This is in comparison to lots of ethnic minority groups who are also on free school meals. That's how, that's the metric we use, who's on free school meals. So this can't just be um, an issue around race. There's a lot uh, around uh, deprivation, geographical disparities as well. But when uh, the zeitgeist is talking about white privilege, uh, unconsciously, I think a lot of the policy is then focused away from those people who probably need it the most into areas that are easy uh, for other people to talk about. And that, uh, I think, was a, was a very, very good point made by the select committee, and they were attacked for it. And I was giving uh, my view of what the problem is with this phrase. And I think many people who use it are well-meaning, but they don't understand that it is a contested, uh, the meaning of the phrase is contested. So I referenced uh, uh, the BBC using one person's opinion of what it means, but I have a totally different opinion of what that means, as do many other ethnic minorities. Why is that not used? And the fact that it is so contested means that we shouldn't just uh, talk about it as if everyone knows what the meaning is. A lot of uh, these debates we're having are very much around language and semantics and, and uh, people putting forward opinion that's not settled. You quoted some statistics uh, in that piece about education and how actually poor black kids are outperforming poor white kids in education terms. Is that your understanding? Yes, in many respects, yes, but you even have to dig deeper and, and be more granular. The phrase, or rather the term black, covers 
a very, very diverse group of people uh, from Black Caribbeans to Somalis who don't necessarily fit in within the typical Black African, which references uh, uh, population-wise more West Africans from Nigeria and Ghana. So what we want to do as a government was one of the recommendations from the credit which we accepted uh, very early on was disaggregating the BAME term because as we're approaching, I think there's, I read something recently about super diversity. It's not particularly helpful in telling us what's going on. You grew up partly in Nigeria. Yeah. And one thing you've mentioned in the past is that racial or ethnic tensions in that country uh, can be pretty bad. What, what did you learn from that that you think we should or shouldn't do over here? Um, Yes, so I lived in Nigeria till I moved uh, to the UK age 16 and I came, you know, I came here on my own and it was very interesting observing that a lot of the behaviours which people ascribe to uh, white people, when, when I lived in a place where everybody was black, everybody looked like me, you still see those behaviours. Many of these negative attributes are human attributes. They're not white, um, they're not white attributes. And also with some of the more bizarre teachings about um what is white being on time, believing in the enlightenment and free speech and all these things. These are not white things. They are universal uh, liberal human values. And growing up in a place where everybody looked the same meant that I didn't have um, a view of being othered. And I chose to come to this country. And um, I think it's one of the, the advantages you have as a first generation immigrant is that you can often compare uh, two totally different places. And that's one of the reasons I always say that I think Britain is uh, the best place in the world to be black, uh, specifically. And and I still stick to that. So in uh, Nigeria, when you were there, were th there were ethnic tensions as well. I mean, would you say that Nigeria is a more racist country than the UK, for example? I mean, are we able to make those kind of comparisons? No, I, to be honest, I don't think you can really compare the countries because Nigeria has 300 different ethnic groups. And some groups, you know, ally against um, another. It's very, it's very, very complex. So diversity brings a lot of complexity. And how you handle the diversity uh, is, is really important. So, for instance, one lesson that I would say I learned from Nigeria was about quotas, where there are ethnic quotas for government positions. And it has a really, really bizarre distorting effect. On the one hand, it's fair because everybody... Um, everybody is equally represented. So if all you want to do, and, and even then, I mean, you get about 36 different states, that's about as far as you go within 300 people, but those different, those 36 areas are represented, but you get distortion. Sometimes the worst person for a particular job ends up getting it because it's their turn. Um, we have this weird thing where you have to swap from uh, Christian to Muslim or North to South when you're picking the president and you're not necessarily uh, picking people for a job based on merit. That's, a, for instance, an example of something that I've learned and seen didn't really work there, but people still hang on to it because it was brought in as a way to make things fairer. So would you, would you be, in principle, against trying to kind of target percentages in that way? Um, yeah, and yeah, I think I'm, I've, I've always been against them. Um, I've always been against quotas. It's not uh, the conservative way. And I think that removing barriers to success, providing opportunity, that is what is critical, rather than trying to fix the outcome in a particular way. If you don't, and this is why the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities report is so important. If you don't tackle the root cause of a problem and you then try and change the outcome, 
the problem will continue. It'll just manifest itself in a different way. You've got to go diagnose the cause properly and then you can fix the issue. And I guess the answer then is by focusing less on race, we might do better at helping people who are underprivileged. Is that fundamentally the argument? You want us to talk less about race? Um, I wouldn't say I want to talk less about race. I think I want us to talk more healthily about race. It's important to look at uh, racial issues because if you ignore them completely, you might miss a lot. So what we want to do within the Equality Hub is look across more characteristics. So not talk less about race, but also look at a whole uh, range of other issues. I think in France, they don't, for instance, capture data on race, which makes it very difficult for them to actually know what's going on. Because we 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 don't shy away from these issues, because we look at them. Yes, there are uncomfortable conversations, but we should be brave and we should be trusting in our fellow citizens that we can have a healthy and productive conversation rather than try and shut it down um, or try and force a particular dogma or ideology, uh, which are two opposing views that we I guess, I guess I've just meant in order to correct the people who are most disadvantaged, mm. race can be a bit of a distraction, can't it? I mean, you yourself are, came from well-to-do parents and, and Kwasi Kwarteng, who's a cabinet minister, was at Eton College. Um, sometimes if, if, if one is overly obsessed with race, you, you miss the element of privilege, which, which can it's, be more important. I, th I think my personal philosophy is that we should try as much as possible to focus on the individual. So like you said, I came from a middle class family, but when I moved to the UK, I became very, very working class. I was here on my own. I was working at McDonald's. I was washing toilets and scrubbing up and things. That, that was not a middle class uh, experience at all. I went to an FE college. I was an apprentice before I went to university. But you can't use my race to tell my story. So yes, let's look at race in terms of what's going on and making sure we're not leaving anybody behind. But also, let's not focus on it to the detriment of other things that might be causing um, that might be causing problems. The groups that are um, at a disadvantage will change from time to time. Quite often, it will be all races in a particular region. Quite, you know, it, it could be a particular race uh, at a particular point in time, perhaps because of recent immigration history. Have they come here as refugees or something like that? If so they're going to be very far behind um, in many respects, a lot of the rest of the country. So always making sure that we're looking at the issue rather than the skin color, which can be a superficial uh, type of analysis. OK, final question for you, uh, Minister. Do you think we're at a turning point here? It feels like suddenly there's a lot more pushing back on some of these ideas. You are a government minister and you're making these, this case. Do you think we're at a, an inflection point in this debate? I think, I think the debate has uh, become more uh, honest. I think there is a lot more of people coming out and saying, I disagree and I won't be uh, smeared as a racist or some kind of phobic a person just because I have an alternative opinion. And that's that's where we should be. I think it it took a while for it to get there because um, you know people are, are thinking what's going on uh, and and not necessarily want to jump in head first. People should shouldn't be rash when having these discussions. It can be very sensitive, especially for those people who have had really awful, horrible experiences. We mustn't uh, discount those. We do want to look at everything that's happening in the round, and we want people to to trust us because we have uh, we have an ambition 
to provide opportunity to all, irrespective of uh, whatever background or gender or sexuality uh, someone comes from. That's really what this government believes and that's what we're fighting for. Kemi Badenok, thank you so much. And can I also say thank you for seeing the world beyond the BBC and there are other audiences out there and being our first Minister of the Crown on this show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Kemi Badenoch. She is a minister in the Conservative government here in the UK. She is Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury and also an Equalities Minister. And she was our first serving minister to come on this show, hopefully one of many more to come, because it is important that they are held to account beyond just the BBC and the mainstream media. So thanks to her for doing that. Uh, Really interesting to see the arguments she's putting forward quite sensitively there, I thought. Uh, Thanks to her, but also thanks to you for watching. This was Lockdown TV. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.